0: We're in Acts chapter seven, and we will read the whole thing because it is good for us to read the Lord's word together. But before we do that, just reminding you where we are. Last week, Stephen—or not last week—but we read last week that Stephen was doing amazing miracles. He was getting into discussions with all sorts of people that didn't that were not able to withstand his wisdom that he had from the Holy Spirit. Then they drag him, get false witnesses, and throw him in front of the Sanhedrin again. The semi one people and uh, the Council of the Jews, their court, paralleling uh, Jesus. They bring false witnesses because they can't find anything to charge him with. And then, last week, his face was shining to show that kind of in an, an ironic twist that the people that were supposed to be shining the council that was having false witnesses they were not shining but um, what Stephen's face was and then we read from 7 oh I'll give it to you Stephen on trial before the council or is it Stephen puts the council on trial try trial, and look look for the glory of God. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred. And go into the land that I'll show you. Then he went out from the land of Cal- the Chaldeans and lived in Haran after and after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you're now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance, not even a foot foot length, but promised to give it to him to give him a position and to his offspring after them though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they will serve, said God. And after after that, they shall come, come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, And Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And he rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred 75 persons in all and Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb of Abraham, a tomb that Abraham had brought, bought for some of Celia from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God has granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose the infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in the wisdom of all the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deed. And when he was forty years old, it came to enter his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was bringing salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day. He appeared to them as they were quarreling and trying to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside. Who made you a rule, a judge over us? A ruler, a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And he drew near to look. There came a voice. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled. And did not dare take a look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the for where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent and both sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him but thrust him aside and in their hearts they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us, for this Moses who led us out from Egypt, we don't know what has come of him. And they made in those days a calf calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol. And they were rejoicing in their work of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the the star of your god Rephaim. The images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses directly. Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drew out before our fathers. So it was until the day of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Now it gets great. You stiff necked people, uncircumcised and hot in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at them. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stowing Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said these things, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. God, we just ask that you through the Holy Spirit now continue to illumine our hearts and minds. Help us to be very opposite of the counsel. Let us have a heart that can receive and ears that can hear to your glory. Amen. I've got a few questions before I I continue, and the questions are, I actually have a bonus question. Uh, What is encouraging and challenging in Acts 7? How is it showing the beauty of Christ, and what do I have to obey from this chapter? So all three things we can think about. And then I have something, and this is not, it's not a quick question, I'm not going to beat you up for it. But I was reminded about it, and I asked Kylie, she had she had some good answers, but she thought about it it was better. But if you could decide what you were doing when you would die, what would it be? So you're going to die at some point, but if you could decide what you were doing, what would that be? I can maybe just share some examples. There was a famous Danish uh, runner. Um, he won the London Marathon, and he died. He died running. So you were saying, oh, maybe that makes sense. Like he, he died doing doing that. Uh, then I had some other examples that I forgot. Okay, so just think about that. Think about what is it, what would I be do? What If I could decide, what would I be doing when I died? Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so, uh, chapter 7. Wow. They turn to him and say, Stephen, is, th- is these uh, false allegations true? Which they know they're not. But they were, he was brought there on false allegations. And then you may say, Stephen doesn't just say, he doesn't just say, yes or no. <laughs> he, he, but he starts, he starts by drawing a man calling brothers and, and fathers. And then he goes right to the main point that I had on the first slide. The glory of God. God chose to show himself to Abraham. The glory of God. Appeared to Abraham. And then in his whole... Then he goes through... And I, I've uh, done it with some of the slides. Everything, everything that's bolden in the slides is what God does. So all the slides that are from now on, they are bold. And all those things is that God is doing. God is doing. God is revealing. He's saving. He shows His glory. And He continues to do and do and do for the Israelites. He's trying to show us and the council this is about the glory of God in history. What has God done in history for the Israelites? He picks Abraham. Abraham, by faith, believes in God before circumcision. Paul's going to go nuts with that later, but it's by faith in God. He hasn't earned anything. He just believes. But there's God that shows up to Abraham. He promises him a new land. He promises freedom. He also promises that there will be slaves for 400 years. But he also promises that he will. Or we see. We see one of the main reasons. So we see all these good things that. We see all these good things that God is doing but then what happens on the next slide we have a family of jealous people the patriarchs jealous of Joseph sells him into slavery God's doing all these good things and God even in the famous passage you know maybe know where he says to his brothers what you meant for evil God made meant for good So God is with Joseph. He helps him. Not that it was easy, but he helps him through. He even gives him wisdom and power. God saves the family of the promise by bringing them in and saving them from the famine. Um, Then a lot of time passes by the Pharaoh changes and things get really hard, really, really hard in Egypt. And they're tricked into becoming slaves as they grow and grow as a nations. Just a few people, 75 people become upwards of a million, but they're all slaves now. God brings up this beautiful child. He gets saved in a strange way. He's saved by the queen of... Uh, by the daughter of the king. He grows up in that house. Becomes mighty in word and deed. And then he comes out. He comes out. And he's going to be the deliverer. But they all refuse him. And he must flee. Into Midian. Where he gets two children. And then 40 years passes again. And God shows up again. To Moses. And says I've heard. I've heard my people's. Groaning my their sufferings, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go. Then, then, then. Stephen takes it up. The one whom you rejected, God has sent to you. So we see we see Israel's Israel Israel's history is a continuously It's showing how they keep rejecting the people God sends to them to bring them out they accept them kind of second hand and then maybe they don't really anyway cause then you have the whole whole part where as soon as they get out of Egypt and Moses is with God they're like Aaron make us a calf that we can worship And they turn back to Egypt. They've just been delivered by God. But their hearts turn right back. To slavery. And he quotes the prophets. as like you didn't sacrifice correctly. Your hearts were far from me. You continue to want to worship all things. And I'll turn you into exile. Then we come to some of the core things. And what he's accused about about the temple and wanted to change the temple rules. Moses builds the tabernacle by, because of the visions he gets to do. And then Stephen talks about, okay, this is what it's like. It's actually a copy of the heavenly one. So it's a copy. And then later on, David says, oh, I would want to build for the Lord. And then the prophet says like, well, who are you kidding? You cannot build a house for God. God cannot be contained in a house. The whole purpose was never that the temple would become an idol to worship. It was about the glory of God. And God chose to let his glory be there, but it was never about the building. And then he harshly enters in with them and just them and uses the same words that God uses about them. You stiff necked people. And then he goes and says, uncircumcised you, are, you might have the you might have the covenant of circumcision, but you are uncircumcised in your heart. Because you don't do what Abraham did you didn't believe. And you are just like your fathers. You killed every prophet that you, you sent to you. Remember, maybe you remember the parable or the saying that Jesus says about the wicked tenants. It's just such a, such a saying thing where the vineyard is let out to tenants and the father, uh, the owner keeps sending people, but they beat them and, and humiliate them. And then the son comes and they kill him also. Showing what Israel has done all the time, that every time God has called them back they keep rejecting because even as Moses said this is one of the great ironies they all say they follow Moses but they reject his law by lying by bringing false witnesses and by not listening that God was sending a prophet like Moses And they killed the one who announced beforehand the coming of the Righteous One. They killed John the Baptist as well. And all the other prophets, or many of the other prophets, were never treated well. And now he says, just like Peter at Pentecost. You betrayed and murdered the Righteous One. They don't respond very favorable to that, strangely enough. And it's kind of like, what do you call it? It's, it's kind of even childish. He's bringing, these, he's bringing these strong accusations against them. He's twisting that this is a court system. So he, he twists it on them and says, I am bringing all this proof to you. That you have killed every prophet. And you have worshipped in yourself and your tradition and the building, not the glory of the God who built the building, who was supposed to be in the building. And by that you have just killed innocent people. How many times you're like, every time, oh let's kill that guy, let's kill this person, we have to kill this stuff. Lazarus, let's kill him, he was raised from the dead. Let's kill him again. Let's kill John the Baptist. Let's kill Jesus. Now let's kill so again they, they do the opposite and we've talked about it the last couple of weeks that they the word here they are cut in two they're not cut to their heart and want to repent but they're cut in two and what are the people that are cut in two instead said repenting it's like okay I'm, I apologize what, what can I do I know I failed God what can I do Peter calls them to repentance at Pentecost believe in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized in the name of the Father Son, and the Holy Spirit you will get the Holy Spirit that's what a repentant heart teaches a heart that's been slashed in two starts gnashing his teeth and they will kill the messenger this is so ironic they're doing exactly what Stephen is saying. They are fulfilling his own words by not turning, but doing exactly as the fathers have done. They will now gnash their teeth. And this is all supposed to be a court of law. They will gnash their teeth and be, like, and be like children. Putting their fingers in their ears. La la la, I can't hear you, la la la, I can't hear you. You can't do that, like, who does that in court? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And then, then we will... Your battery is running low. Can you on the uh, If you would do that, other side, Right. No, more okay. That. Next. next. That, that, yeah. You still have battery. Thank you very much. So it's supposed to be a court of law. They act like children and and and, and like cut their ears. Uh, not cut their ears. They grind their teeth at him. They're so angry, and then they la 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 la, and then they form a mob and run towards them. And now they start breaking all sorts of laws. They're breaking their own law, and now they're going to break the Roman law because remember Jesus. At this point in time, they're not allowed to kill anyone and now they're going to bring, bring break Roman law and just kill him by stoning him. He is a Luke is a he's a, he's a master writer teller his story, history, theology he keeps uh, last week we saw he introduced Stephen and Philip and then he just uh, gently just introduces Saul here as well. Who sees all of this stuff and affirms the killing of Stephen. And we will hear more about Saul in other places. You can see the parallels of, of what happens with Stephen. The beauty, 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 beauty. I just was like, what was that? I don't even know why I saw that. Like some, uh, somebody was trying to heckle a street preacher somewhere. and They said, yeah, but why didn't God just help, help Stephen out? The, the street preacher said, he did. He opened the heavens, and he saw Jesus standing there ready to receive him. God did help Stephen. As Stephen has been pummeled or in rocks, he sees what Jesus talked about. He sees where Jesus is. Everywhere, and this is everybody else, everybody else also says this, and this is not me inventing this, but everywhere else we see Jesus seated. Jesus has gotten up, ready to receive Stephen. And the use here, there was somebody else that I said, this is the only time... The Son of Man, the last time also that the Son of Man is used let 's just say the let 's just say that the Jews are not happy about that because of that, this fulfillment of david 's prophecy of who the Son of Man would be, so there 's no doubt that Stephen knows that Jesus is God, that he is who he said he was that is of course what they don 't want to hear, but Stephen is is emphasizing that he's not breaking the law because believing in Jesus is actually fulfilling the law of Moses. It's the promised one that was to come. And this is what is the result of this. It was never about the temple, or it was never about the tent, and it was never about the temple. It was about the glory of God Dwelling with his people. At Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, his very true presence in God, God with us. Very physically, Pentecost, we celebrate his spirit comes to dwell in us. Now, it's not about a physical tent and it was never about the physical tent and it was never about the beautiful building it was about the glory of the God that inhabited those things and as Stephen and Jesus himself said this temple is not going to last it will be destroyed and as 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 Paul takes it up The body of Christ is the temple. The believers are now the temple, where the very true presence, the glory of God dwells through the Holy Spirit. And then you think, okay, so what does that that have to do with me? What does that have to do with those questions? What was that encouraging about? What was that challenging about? Well, and, why, and how did you want to die? Had you wanted to die sleeping in her bed? Um, and why did they even ask that strange question? I can just share with you I am struck how faithful God is how much God has done not just for the Israelites but also for me many times when we read the Bible and I started I think I was around 14 I picked up the Bible and started reading I was like these guys are morons like how stupid are they I didn't really know Jesus but I, I could see that God was working so strongly in these people but they keep rejecting him man these guys are morons uh, or not so smart But, what about me? Is there, is there, like, really a picture, a lot of times, of how we struggle to believe that God actually wants to be with us? show His glory, actually be with us. Some, some songs are simple, some are complex. Some simple songs can be very hard to accept. One of the songs we sang today can be a little boring, but sometimes it's also it's very poignant. Because it talks about, do you accept that you are a child of God? And this is one of the things I was struck with today because it could be some of the very simplest things from the Bible. Some very famous theologian said on his deathbed, what, what is what about the Bible is like the craziest? And he quoted the Bible and his children's song Jesus loves me. This I know. Those are some of the most complex and most wonderful things. Do I really. Believe with all my heart, mind and soul, that because Jesus loved me, I am adopted into God's family and can be called a child of God. That is my true, one, secure identity. Can I rest in that? Then my fears, my performance tendencies will fade away that's the only thing i hold and you can see the opposite here you can see what happens when the opposite happens then we become about retaining power retaining tradition fighting against anybody who would oppose us because our identity is wrapped up in our title or in our stuff it could be even good things it could be like i'm wrapped up in being the best parent ever I'm wrapped up in getting that job. I'm wrapped up in the culture saying I need to have a house, or be the best, best at this, or be the healthiest. This, those things are not bad in themselves, but if they overwrite our central identity in who God has made us to be, and that it is about the glory of God. His true presence coming to dwelling with us through Jesus' work and through the Holy Spirit. Then maybe we become more sympathetic to the Jews who time again, time and time again rejected God. When the Savior came, hey, you're doing something wrong, you need to repent. Like, no, I don't. I'm fine. We become more sympathetic when we see what all God has done in us. And then still in the morning, or in the afternoon, or after after a really serious long time of prayer and commitment to God, God breaks through and He solves that problem. And two weeks later you realize, oh, I forgot to spend time with God. Because now I need something else from Him. those are some of the things that stuck out to me that man God is faithful and man I am not that faithful to God
1: there's this one <laughs> song about
0: <laughs> an old old guy called uh, not, he's dead but it's, it, Lord, you're beautiful. And in the, in the original song, it talks about, I'm so tired. And then he says, but Lord, you keep reminding me of those people who tirelessly gave their lives for you as they were witness to you. So sometimes maybe we can all dramaticize how tired we are when other people, like Stephen, goes out confessing who Jesus is. But also, like, also like, maybe some commentators said, um, and I think Lee also said it before. Like, maybe it's easier sometimes going out with getting your head cut off. But we live in a life where it's needles every day, and maybe we're just get tired sometimes of people sticking us with needles. Um. Is it easier to die for Jesus than actually keep, to continue to live for him? I mean, it's like, he is yeah, all Jesus. I mean, he's saw, saw Jesus. Why did Romans come in there? Oh, that's uh, the Romans passage, because um, this is the passive wrath of God, or act of rather God, depending on what, how you would like it. Um... what happens with the Israelites and God turns and says now you're, you're going to get what you want now you can go worship these stupid idols but this is also what Paul talks about in Romans he says that there's nobody nobody has an excuse everybody knows that God exists because of his wonderful um, his wonderful attributes and, the, and then the whole world is here and what happens is that humans continue to worship things God created instead of the one who created and so and you can read over all the Romans one of which is going to read from 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to the debased mind and to do what ought not to be done they were filled with all manner of covetousness, unrighteousness, evil, malice. They are full of envy, murder, deceit, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disparate parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteousness decree, they chose those who practice such things to serve die, to die. Not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them, and so that's for us to consider. Because Paul continues and talks about you don't have an excuse of judging others. This is for you judging yourself. Mm-hmm. Some of the most scary things you may say, well, God is very scary. Like he can just uh, blow me up with lightning. lightning from the sky, like John, the, like the, what do they call it? The the, the, the Brothers of Thunder, you know, we call lightning down. They're like ready to fry people. Like, uh, not today. But we see, we see a difference here where the most scary thing the people can experience is that God lets us go. Okay, you want that. Here you go. That will kill you and ruin you. I did not send my son to save you from those things so you could get those things no I saved you so you could be with me and not be ruled by those things who is going to kill you and ruin your life anyway but here you go go ahead passive wrath of God then there was where is this one that's one I thought this was such a good summation, and maybe we also have to check our own hearts in this one, because uh, the summation, the brief, important import of the whole Israelite history, grossness of heart, spiritual deafness, continuous restraint to the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, down to the very council of whom do you worth pleading? Looking at our state of our heart. it's so easy to pick out everybody else's, but look at just if that's the summation of their whole history what does ours look like when we have encountered Christ how is that different so that was the of the danger of actually getting what we want God I want this so much well God will be like well it's actually better you want me the most and then we can work on other things seek first the kingdom of God Because what you maybe really, really want actually might be very good for you. Especially if it's nothing to do with who Jesus is. If it's fame, power. Like, look at these people. It's fame, power, power structure. And this is probably also a lot of cultural contingency. It could to be high status. Whatever it is. And that's also maybe why I alluded to the strange question in in the end, what would you be wanting to do when you die? Could that reveal, could that reveal an idol in my life that actually shouldn't be there? Let's even go back. This is just a super, super beautiful passage. Um, I just find it so but this is more of a nerdy thing is it, it, he Luke writes and gets the whole trinity in, in like two lines I think it's very like beautiful He's like, like but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven saw the glory of God he saw Jesus standing there, there at the right hand of God like the whole trinity is right there showing his glory to Stephen as he is here witnessing for oh no, now we're there love your enemies jesus has already said it he's already said it he also said it in uh, this verse here love your enemies Pray for them jesus did on the cross he was praying for you me people that were killing him looks very similar here again confessing that Jesus is his God and Lord and he he challenges us or at least me just as Jesus did that in his dying moments he's not calling I'll get you back he's praying to Jesus he's so secure in Jesus that he's saying don't hold his sin against them. I was thinking, I was running over the bridge and I, I thought I wanted to share this as well with you. Maybe this to set us free from this one. Loving our enemies, I think sometimes is also giving us self free to actually... Your enemies and other people really don't think about you as much as you think they think about you. Because <laughs> I sometimes I was say my enemies are some of my customers, like, uh, and so sometimes you know my day would be like preoccupied, with like, what do they think about this and what do they think about this? And they're not, they are not spending that day going around. Oh, I wonder what Chris is doing now. No, they don't. They don't even care. But I'm in, a, I'm in a prison because I'm like, oh, what if what if I did this better? What if I did this better? What if I did this? And I don't like them. But I'm in the prison. They're not. They're sitting there doing whatever they're doing. They're thinking, like, oh, I wonder what Krishna is doing now. It's 10, 1045. They don't care. You enemies probably don't care about you at all. And it's freedom. It's freedom for you. Because you don't have to worry about what they think about you. So you're free. You're actually free to pray for them. That's how it is. how I don't. It's I, I don't. If I should pray. If I would say from my own experience, I find it a little bit harder to pray. For them. But Jesus says, like, what are you thinking? I died on the cross. Like, you can pray for your enemies. Because these are those other people that need to be saved as well. Jesus has shown the way. Stephen has also... I'm going way, way over time. But I read for 10 minutes, so you've got to get all what it's worth today. All right. I'm going to keep going. Keep going. Two or three or five more points. No. The beauty of Christ. I was struck in this text. The beauty of our Savior... That the Almighty God, in His wisdom and in His counsel, knew we will fall so much short, and even His own people that He fought again and again would turn His back. We would turn the day and we turn our back on Him again and again. But He still came, and He still did. What needed to be done so that we could be set free? The beauty of God in this. Glory oh. of God. Even does even Jesus say, I'm right here, Stephen. I am here. God shows, like in his big trouble, I am here for you, Stephen. I am ready to receive you. The Christmas story. Why on earth be born as a kid? into this craziness if you are the lord of all and are worshipped by all creation before creation started going crazy we have this redeemer to draw us back in and maybe that's maybe I missed, missed these two because the beauty of God and how we had to be of course before loving our enemies we have to understand God is so beautiful he loves us that from that we can love our enemy. Because God loved us when we were his enemy and in darkness and sin before he drew us up. Last point is the whole point of the whole passage, I think. Maybe I should start off that one. Real relationship. Do I live for the glory of God? Do I have some other ambition? Is my my gut and my compass in everything I do to worship God for His glory? That as He has revealed Himself to me, I want to be faithful with that. Because that's what it's all about. That's what the whole history is about. The history was never, I said it again, it was was never about the tent, and it was never about the temple, it was never about only one people. They were all, Abraham was going to bless the whole world. That was God's promise, the whole world. It's relationship. Do I have a real relationship with God? And my compass sets on wanting, because of the beauty of Christ, wanting that relationship, pressing in, asking me just to show me more, asking me day by day by the Holy Spirit to guide me into that relationship, deepening that relationship. Not because of my performance, not even my relationship with God, it's about my performance, but because of Jesus' performance, we are actually welcomed with God, do I believe that, or is that really difficult? Because I know I fall short so many times. But the beauty of Christ and God's plan was to invite us in that we were never worthy, but He was, and He invites us into real relationship. And I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's some of you, and maybe it's me. Like when you messed up, is it harder to pray? When you've done bad things is how pray? If you are doing really well, maybe you forget to pray. The call is always the same. What are you living for? Am I living for my own glory? And I know being killed, being killed with stones, you don't have to worry about getting the kids from Bunningham and you don't have to hour that and all that crap. Oh sorry, all those other things that take up your day. I know it seems easier if it was just like a one time thing. But how is it that we bring all of our relationship, all of who we are, into relationship with who God is because of what Christ has done in Jesus? Do we see that beauty? It's not about religion. It's not about a building. It's not about who you are as a person. It's about what Christ has done. Is that changing me from the inside out? Do I actually believe that God loves me and sent his son to rescue me? Do I believe that the Holy Spirit enables me to live a life in Christ for His glory and for our good? Those were the encouragements today. You can talk to each other about how you want to die, but uh, <laughs> but it was a, I mean it was an encouragement to to just be like, is there in in what I re- in what I really want? Is there something that shouldn't be there, and it should just expose to Jesus? What did I say? Well, this is what I want, and this is actually what, in line with what Jesus wants. All right, you've been very patient. We hit the fifty minute mark. So, Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, I pray for myself and everyone here and everybody watching. I just pray that you are working in our hearts and minds. It is so hard for me even to communicate how wonderful, beautiful you are—the the, the depth, the width, the strength, the, all those things of your love, God. And Lord, I just I thank you for Acts. I thank you for this chapter, Lord. Just that you're challenging me, convicting me, encouraging me. Um, and I pray that you do it all for all of us. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and grace towards us. And also Stephen, Lord, thank you for Stephen and his faithfulness to proclaim who you are. Lord, help us, encourage our hearts and minds to to be aware. To be aware that you are near with your Holy Spirit every day. That you have come near. Jesus Christ Emmanuel, that you have come near. It is not our own power and our own strength. It's what you've done and who you are. That we're welcomed into your, your throne room. And we can just pour our all requests and all praise to who you are. Lord, well, I ask that you would help us pray, live our lives to you, honor and to your glory. And we will know that we're set free that way. Jesus said you brought us out of prison of expectations and all those things. To seek Your glory and honor. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.